Nick, my brother from another mother, what's going on? Hey, hey, yeah, not much, man. How Just enjoying are you? the lockdown experience. Oh, yeah. What's not to love, you know? <laughs> um, so, my mission is to actually do what we're doing, get what we're recording right now and actually put it on the internet. That's the goal because we've recorded one. We did it last week. It was a great one. I thought it was one of our better, you know, Martin Luther and the plague and pestilence yeah, and everything. Best things we've ever done, no I, doubt. Well, no, I, legit, I legitimately think it was actually one of the, the best ones we've done in the series, right? And um, the video didn't record. The audio sort of got half recorded. The rest of it's like terrible quality. So I'm going to put it out. I'll let everyone know. We, you know, if anyone's... Um, tracking with us to this extent, you'll notice we didn't do anything last week at all, and that's just because I felt kind of kind of sleepy, you know. I just, I was t- <laughs> Was, wasn't it your day last week? It's true. It was birth- my birthday. Yeah, I had, I had, I actually, it was all in the name of trying to get me a day off on the birthday, so uh, so I just kind of bailed on everything. But um, but uh, we did record. So I got one in the bank that is coming. I'll put it on the audio. So if anyone's listening to this right now or watching this, then go and check out the. Um, the actual podcast, you know, the Podbean audio thing, and um, and that'll come out there. Some bonus content. I would recommend checking that out because that was great and really helpful. Hopefully, we get that out. Hopefully, I get organized enough to get that edited and out before the pestilence and plague is over. You know, <laughs> which would mean it's lost its relevance. But I thought that was really, really good. Um, all right, so we're sort of committed. Uh, if you're joining us uh, for the first time, if you don't know who we are, Nick is a pastor from uh, Timaru in New Zealand that's on the South Island. Yes, there are two little islands within the one island of New Zealand. And uh, Nick's right there on the bottom. I'm on uh, the bottom of the top. And uh, we're two pastors in New Zealand. And basically, uh, what I, why I'm saying that is to introduce, uh, you know, who we are, but also just to say we're not coming at this thing from any sort of scholarly perspective, but we want to commit to kind of read some of the, um, you know, just the literature involved in church history, some of the greats. Um, And the reason this will be valuable to you is just to, if you want to stop talking about it and read it, you know, this is a great intro, a little little splash into it. Obviously, there are lots of great books on each one of these books that are written. Uh, Scholars who've dedicated their lives to to, uh, you know, helping you understand more of the context, there's more you can look at. But it's kind of like, where do you start a lot of the time, you know? I mean, you read, you read church history, that's one, you get a one volume overview, and then, you, and then you've got all these places you need to go, you realize there is a lot of great literature out there, and you've got to start somewhere. So this will hopefully help you just year some of some, some of that literature, and uh, actually from the horse's mouth, so to speak, that's not our mouths, but, you know, the, the actual, the, the text that we're reading. And then, you know, what we're wanting to do is just do what we do with everything, really. Every time we talk, every time we connect, we're always talking about things from our theological perspective and bringing it over. And and so, um, you know, make it fun. Make it make it something that you do. And uh, that's what why be worth joining us for that. So please do. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, whether you are uh, at this point, just going to stop the tape and go and look up what we're looking at and reading with us. Not the tape, not the tape. It's not a tape at all. It's uh, <laughs> it's definitely not a tape. It's like a punk. Okay, boomer. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's uh, it's on your phone. It's a MP3 or it's a video. It's an MP4, but you know what I mean. And um, we are looking today at John Chrysostom 
and uh, the, his famous one, The Priesthood, which is great for pastors, pastoral ministry, and it's one of the first pastoral deals. It's kind of like a reformed pastor before reformed pastor, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we got to know about this. And Chrysostom, of course, is one of the more accessible of the early fathers and uh, was one of the big preachers and has so much in common with the kind of ministry that we're, um, we're typically engaged in today, you know, whereas other, other fathers seem very foreign and just wow what was their their context at least you know chrysostom was was you know systematic expository preaching you know he he uh, was committed to a very um literal approach uh, or you know at least yeah. just not a very fanciful allegorical method um so it was part of that antioch school in that sense and um and uh, what else can we say about this guy? I mean, it's just a, he's a good guy to know, you know? And, um, and so I'm kind of excited to just read through this little brief snippet this evening. Yeah. So uh, maybe a few fun facts is mm. after Augustine, he's the most prolific church father whose extant writings we have. Yeah. So 600 sermons, 200 letters. So Augustine takes first place. John Chrysostom takes second. Mm. <clears throat> he's one of the top four in terms of doctors of the church, mm. along with Basil the Great, Augustine, John Chrysostom takes one of those top spots. Mm -hmm. um, fun fact was uh, he was a very popular preacher in Antioch. He used to preach against riches. He, he was on the side of the poor. He was doctrinally down the line. Mm -hmm. And he got kidnapped to become the Archbishop of Constantinople because uh, the, the leader there thought it would be a, political, a politi politically good move to have the best preacher in the country or the best preacher in the church in the capital <clears throat> and yes. uh he submitted to it Man. and so what actually happened was you know he was this ascetic guy yeah you know, he had a mentality to everything didn't tone down his preaching at all upset the upper classes wouldn't go to their their shindigs and their fancy parties yeah and yeah. i think it was the empress herself that tried to basically get him cut off from the church totally well they did they exiled him didn't they they just um yeah and then yeah, he, he came back for a brief period and then i think he died under exile if i'm not mistaken like it was just a brutal exile yeah, yeah what a deal it's kind of how i feel about making people passes in new zealand i'm like come on just get it just, i'm gonna capture you bring you down to new zealand <laughs> you know and just plunk you in that church go you know um instead of looking for this cushion yeah, he, he reminded me a bit of he reminded me a bit of john knox i was uh reading uh, one of his quotes just to say don't go to the wikipedia page for john chrysostom okay you know all it does is it talks about how he was anti-jewish anti-gay oh my goodness pro-poor it's just like doesn't okay. doesn't discuss one doctrinal distinctive stay away from wiki all right. christianity today has just a very useful uh short article if you want to google that that's that's worth digging into excellent but uh one of the quotes that he said was you know just digging at the the riches he said something like this you know you regard your ex excrement so highly that you receive it into silver bowls when your poor brother is starving yeah wow <laughs> beautiful <laughs> like, and that's why they called him the golden tongue yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man wow yeah, I mean, I like, I've always just felt like I remember the first time I looked through the church files, it's quite a scary experience, you know, when you when you when you first go there, because you're like, what on earth are these guys even on about? You know, they're just so different from from anything you're even, you know, coming, coming towards or from. And, uh, and then you find Chrysostom and you read some of his stuff. And for one thing, you can understand it, you know, it's just it seems like it's just very devotional and warm. <clears throat> 
and for another, it, you know, as I said earlier, it just, you know, it takes a, it just, he was very much against that whole allegorical approach. So it just feels a bit more evangelical, you yeah. know, um, at the end of the day, and not to mention the, the homily style kind of book by book thing that he's uh, usually on about. But he also wrote about these topics. And, and so, uh, you know, one of his most famous was the priesthood, which was really um, all about this, this issue of, of caring for souls and so forth. And um, <clears throat> so, I think um, I think probably one one of the th- I mean it's a big. Um, we're just going to take two. Well, let me say this: if you, I mean, what version have you got? Have you got the? Um, did you get it on your? I'm just reading from the Shuff one, the Kindle okay, version. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So yeah, Nick's using um, that one. You can get that online or on Kindle. Uh, Philip Schaff's um, Church Fathers. Um, so if you want to stop, go find it. Come back. You know, press play and let's go together uh, or just just, you know, if you're on a treadmill right now or doing your thing or, you know, just just hanging out, uh, you know, just just hear the words, hear the words, get a little bit of uh, yeah. a taste of, of what Chrysostom sounds like. Not actually, but you know what I mean? As we read him, we're not going to try and put on the accent. I mean, what would that even? What would that be like? That would be like a Greek accent, right? It'd be like the <laughs> God's accent. <laughs> yeah, like definitely, definitely doesn't sound like a weird, twisted South African accent like mine. But um, anyways, um, all right. Uh, well, maybe just before you, you dig in, just a little context on the book. So uh, Chrysostom was approached for the priesthood, and the first time he was approached, he turned it down. Mm-hmm. And so book one is all about a discussion with his friend Basil. Basil and, Chris and John yes, were, yes, 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 yes. You know, sort of wanting to go. He, Basil really wanted to go into the priesthood. And John was like, well, I'm not worthy to go into the priesthood. And there's right. this long conversation about, well, why didn't you tell me you didn't want to go in? Right. And blah, also blah, just, blah. just the whole, like, uh, you know, shouldn't we just do the contemplative life instead? And, you know, isn't that better? And, you know, and, and there's this whole big war about Because he started off just basically living in the desert, right? I mean, he was one of those guys. He's just been, And he damaged himself, like, big time. He was, <laughs> he just, you know. <laughs> And these guys are so crazy. I mean, he just he just sort of hit as a young guy, uh, headed off, did the monastic life, but he 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 messed himself up by the time he actually came back from the civilization. But standing was one form of fasting. Wow. Didn't lie down, didn't sit down, just stood. Can you believe it? Yeah. <laughs> I just I never they were just made of something else, I'm telling you. But anyways, um yeah, so as you say, you know, they they they're on this uh, conversation and like is it better to do this? Is it better to do this? And that part's like kind of it's it's super interesting, you know, because it's just not even what we would talk about today. Um yeah. but the but the conclusion that he comes to, I think is great in that basically you know, it is a good idea to not go into that secluded lifestyle. But, well, even though it's more, you know, he regards it as a as a more, um, what, what, you know, like a, uh, perhaps it's easier or it's it's more it's more personally sort of uh, gratifying in some ways. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, the the public life, um, pastoral ministry, is going to be that which is you know, a higher calling ultimately. It's going to be something that is not for yourself, but for others. And and he, he lands there, which I think is, you know, I mean, I'm reading that stuff. I'm still battling with that. I, I could still just go into the, you know, not my desert, but, you know, in my little isolation internet, you know, like library vibe. And, um, and I think a lot of people feel that way. You know, we love books. We love, we love just studying. We could easily retreat in some ivory tower, you know, and, yeah. um, and we know as pastors, that's, that's definitely, um, you know, people do that, but it's 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 part of the pastoral calling. It's a high calling to not do that and uh, and not feel that you're short selling anything. 
um, in the process. So I think that alone, it's just that that greater narrative level in their dialogue with um, uh, Basil. It wasn't the famous Basil, though. It was his personal friend, right? I couldn't discover that. I tried yeah. to do a reading on it. I didn't yeah, find I don't, any I detail. Don't think, I don't think it was the same guy. And he wasn't even uh, known or anything but by this, this uh, you know, that, that's what I think anyway. Um, all right, let me let me hit the first uh, paragraph. Did you have anything else you wanted to add by way of uh, Maybe just to set the context is yeah. he's talking about uh, pastoring through difficult pastoral situations. Mm-hmm. It's all about shepherding and the use of the staff and, you know, the, the balance yes, between yes, yes, yes. how hard you have to be and how soft you have to be. So just to set the context that way. So. Totally. Oh, man, I like it too. And, you know, there's some Two Kingdoms stuff in here as well on that point, you know, which is great. Um, all right, let's look at this. Um, so I'm in the third, what is it, paragraph? Book chapter? two, chapter three. Chapter three, right. Um, and my, my translation will probably be a little bit different, but let's uh, work with me. <clears throat> As regards human infirmities, in the, fir- in the first place, it is not easy for the pastor to discern them, for no man knows a man's thoughts except the man's spirit within him. 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 2.11. How can anyone apply the remedy for a disease whose nature he does not know, often indeed being unable to understand it even when suffering from it himself? It causes him yet more trouble when it does become clear, for it is not possible to doctor all people with the same authority with which the shepherd treats his sheep. As with sheep, it is necessary to bind wounds, restrain from food, and to cauterize or cut. But with human beings... Um, oops, yeah, but with human beings, this requires the cooperation of the patient, not just the will of the doctor. That wonderful man, he's talking about Paul there, perceived this uh, when he said to the Corinthians, not that we lord it over your faith, but help you for your joy. And that's Second Corinthians first, uh, chapter 124. Um, for Christians, above all, <clears throat> are not permitted forcibly to correct the failings of those who sin. Here's the two kingdom angle for me. Secular judges indeed show their authority to be great when they capture criminals and prevent them, even against their will, from following their own devices. But we have, we have to improve wrongdoers by persuasion, not by force. For mm. neither have we been given legal authority to restrain sinners by force, nor, if it had been given, would we have any scope to exercise it inasmuch as God rewards those who abstain from evil voluntarily, not of necessity. Consequently, we need much skill both to induce our patients to submit willingly to the prescribed treatment and even to be grateful for the cure. For if anyone struggles when he is bound, which is in his power, he makes his condition worse. And if he should pay no heed to words of warning, which um, cut like steel, he inflicts another wound on himself by his contempt. Thus the attempt to heal only becomes the occasion of a worse disorder, for it is not possible to cure a man forcibly against his own will. There we go. Uh, and that's the end of my Wise pastoral advice. Isn't it great? I mean, it's just, and I've made that mistake so many times, you know, like, I mean, this is like the number one young pastor mistake. And, you know, like when I say young pastor, I mean like just over that ridge, right? You know, um, <laughs> but, but it's like, um, it's just, you want to fix it. You know, you want to fix it. There it is. You see the problem. You know, you get the guy's side, you know, it's not going to be loving if I don't, you know, deal with this thing. So you call the brother aside and listen, man, I see this in your life. This is what's going on. And, you know, it's not there. It's not the kind of response you were looking for. So instead of just being patient, 
The servant of the Lord must not strive. <laughs> and perhaps the Lord will grant repentance. Shout louder, push harder. Exactly. You're just like, listen, I'm almost, I'm, my hammer's obviously not big enough. Let's 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 grab a, a bigger <laughs> hammer for this nail. You know, it's every 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 problem is a nail, and you only have a hammer. You know, and um, and uh, you know, again, I mean, obviously, when we think about this by way of uh, the Inquisition and Roman Catholic and um, you know the civil authorities and two kingdoms and all that, that's where it gets super interesting as well. But even just on this, on this everyday pastoral thing, you, there's a there's a word here. You've got to be able to, you got to be able to, you know, it's not like a doctor. I love that point that he makes. It's not like you can just get in there and cut it out, you know, and uh, <laughs> and you know put the guy to sleep and cut it out, and you know, and I think that's an important point to make because so often the pastor's role is wrapped up together with this kind of physician of the soul. You know, and there are all sorts of faulty sort of uh, comparisons that come out of that, and I think probably lead to some of these these problems. Uh, you know, it's really very different like that. Even you know what I was thinking the other day, where you have um, the evangelist who you know, hey, you know, the appeal if if you saw someone in a fire, it burning in a house, you know, would you just would you just not not go to them, or, or would you just simply you know, tell them the gospel and then walk away? Or would you grab them and throw them over your shoulder and run out of the house? And now yeah. in the fire, of course, you know, you're going to deck the guy, you're going to throw him over your shoulders, you're going to get out of there and he can thank you later, right? That's as simple as that. But you really, firstly, the whole thing with a, you know, with an unbelieving perspective there is that person wants to be in that house, you know? It's it's really, if anything, they are not even willing to to let you come into that place. Um, so, you know, you've got a completely different paradigm. Um, and so, yeah, you just don't have the, the ability. You shouldn't. I mean, you can't. It's basically Christendom and Inquisition to say, well, I'm going to force you to become a Christian and get out of this house. I think, I think yeah. Augustine made it like that sort of point. He was like, well, you know, if it comes down to someone's soul and, and they're burning, you know, then use a little bit of force. And, you know, that's the, the dawning of the Inquisition. So you basically you basically got to stay well away from that idea. And, um, you know, it, it seeps in. Yeah, there. I mean, what, uh, what, I, what I really resonated with was sort of a, I felt that distinction that we make between the legislative and the declarative yes, nature great. of our authority, pastors. I love it. So it's yeah. more persuasion mm. than, you know, trying to really pushing the issue. I just, uh, the, the verse that came to my mind was 2 Timothy 2.25. Um, here's verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Mm. able to teach, patiently enduring evil, mm. correcting his opponents with gentleness, mm. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. He quotes that in the next um, thing. You know, so he, <laughs> it's directly on his mind, which is great. You know, good to know. He was yeah. onto it on this stuff. And then uh, another verse that would be relevant would be Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Mm. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You know, and the other thing is that, and I've gone through this little thing as well, you know, it's constantly walking in between these two, in that you, you're you like, all right, fine, you know, I give up. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to, you know, be gentle or whatever. So you sit down with the person and you're working it out, and uh, it's, just, it's very <coughs> frustrating, and you're not getting the the response you were hoping for and you know you're using all your persuasion and it's just not working and 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 i think you know what i've seen and what what has triggered me i think to go in a in that overzealous way sometimes 
is I've seen pastors become so like resolved to just, uh, it's not me. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're basically going to flip or, or not. And I'm just going to go in there with the info. And if, if the info yeah. doesn't work, you know, well, what can you do? I'm just going to go home and, you know, have a cheeseburger and go to bed kind of thing. And, and the reality is, you know, there's something missing <laughs> there as well. You know, there's you know that, it seems to me to be a, a form of hyper Calvinism because right. you're neglecting means you're saying, well, I'm yeah. just going to plant the truth. It doesn't yeah. matter how I say it, as long as I just put it out there. Right. And I don't have to dress it up. I don't have to add any sauce. I don't have to be persuasive. I yeah. don't have to be patient. Right. I just sow the seed, walk away. And if they don't get saved, it's all their fault. Right. And the, the word will do its work, brother. And, you know, <laughs> you just, you just let, let, let put that word there and then you walk away. And, and like, I mean, you know, there is, there is something about that that we are saying. You should have that confidence in the word without a doubt. But, I mean, I, I love the fact that this is Chrysostom saying it, the silver-tongued preacher or the gold-tongued preacher. You know, this is the guy who who speaks of the great need for uh, rhetoric and the great need for uh, skill in persuasion um, and sees that as an important part of it and yet is the very guy who's saying, uh, you know, that's where we leave it. So it's almost like, you know, it's a, it's, it's a helpful thing to be able to go, listen, your, your tool here is persuasion, all right? So you do need to go in there and you need to try your best. And it's, if you're unskilled in persuasion, according to the scriptures, if you, you know, you're unskilled, you're basically not as fit for the job as you could be. Um, but once you've put your best case forward and, you know, it's, it's really not a matter of you having been unclear or, you know, have lacked persuasion, um, then that's it. I mean, then you can walk away with, with, with a confidence that you haven't betrayed your post, so to speak. Um, and, and I think, you know, that's an important dynamic that it'll get you sort of balanced. You know, if it, a lot of people will listen to that and go, oh, my goodness, I'm really not trying. You know, uh, I'm going into those meetings and I'm not even, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to read the Bible verse and go home or preaching. You know, I'm just I've got my word. I'm going to read it and I'm going to go back into the vestry. And that's the end of that. Um, but, you know, what we're saying here is, no, 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 that's not going to cut it. There are means you've got to go for it. That's not what he's saying. But. There is a way. I mean, when you've preached your sermon, you can you can sleep like a Calvinist, you know, uh, <laughs> and that that's good. And you, when you've had that conversation with that person, it's not dependent on your persuasion. Ultimately, <clears throat> it's not dependent on on your your uh, skills and abilities. And that's there's a mystery there, but it's true. It's one of those things you got to hold in tension. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good. Of course, should we look next next chapter? Stood. So this one's slightly longer, and I'm not sure where yours cuts off. I know you've got a, an abridged sort of version, so mm, I'll just mm. cut off where I think, just before the conversation part. Yeah, right. Okay, that sounds good. Cool. So yeah. uh, ch uh, chapter 4, book 2. All right. What then is one to do? For if you deal too gently with him, who, who needs a severe application of the knife, and do not strike deep into one who requires such treatment, you remove one part of the saw but leave the other, and if, on the other hand, you make the requisite incision unsparingly, the patient driven to desperation by his sufferings will often fling everything away at once, both the remedy and the bandage, and throw himself down headlong, breaking the yoke and bursting the band. I could tell of many who have run into extreme evils because the due penalty of their sins was exacted. For we ought not, in applying punishment, merely to proportion it to the scale of the offence, but rather to keep in view the disposition of the sinner. Lest, whilst wishing to mend what is torn, you make the rent worse. 
and in your zealous endeavors to restore what has fallen, you make the ruin greater. For weak and careless characters, addicted for the most part to the pleasures of the world, and having occasion to be proud on account of birth and position, may yet, if gently and gradually brought to repent of their errors, be delivered, partially at least, if not perfectly, from the evils by which they are possessed. But if anyone were to inflict the dis discipline all at once, he would deprive them of the slight chance of amendment. For when once the soul has been forced to put off shame, it lapses into a callous condition and neither yields to kindly words nor bends to threats, nor is susceptible of gratitude that becomes far worse than that city which the prophet reproached, saying, Thou hadst the face of a harlot, refusing to be ashamed before all men. Therefore, the pastor has need of much discretion and of a myriad eyes to observe on every side the habit of the soul. For as many are uplifted to pride and then sink into despair of their salvation from inability to endure severe remedies, so are there some who from paying no penalty equivalent to their sins fall into negligence and become far worse and are impelled to greater sins. It behooves the priest, therefore, to leave none of these things unexamined, but after a thorough inquiry into all of them, to apply such remedies as he has appositely to each case, lest his zeal prove to be in vain. And not in this matter only, but also in the work of knitting together the severed members of the church, one can see that he has much to do. For the pastor of sheep has his flock following him wherever he may lead them. And if any should stray out of the straight path, and deserting the good pasture, feed in unproductive or rugged places, a loud shout suffices to collect them and bring them back to the fold, those who have been parted from it. But if a human being wanders away from the right faith, great exertion, perseverance, and patience are required, for he cannot be dragged back by force, nor constrained by fear, and must be led back by persuasion to the truth from which he originally swerved. The pastor, therefore, ought to be of noble spirit, so as not to despond or to despair of the salvation of wanderers from the fold, but continually to reason with himself and say, peradventure God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Therefore the Lord, when addressing his disciples, said, Who then is the faithful and wise servant? For he indeed who disciplines himself compasses only his own advantage, but the benefit of the pastoral function extends to the whole people. And one who dispenses money to the needy or otherwise succors the oppressed benefits his neighbors to some extent, but so much less than the priest in proportion as, is the, body, as the body is inferior to the soul. Rightly, therefore, did the Lord say that zeal for the flock was a token of love for himself. Did you all stop around that, there? That's where mine stopped, right there. Yeah. Right. Great. Beautiful. Um, wow. Yeah, wow. Great. Talk eh? about, talk about a, a very wise pastoral sensitivity. Beautiful. You know, he's, yeah. he's, he's, not, he's not measuring the situation according to a rule. <clears throat> mm. He's approaching each situation sensitive to the individual that uh -huh. needs to be ministered to. <clears throat> he's not just, he hasn't got a cookie cutter and he's just forcing a principle onto every situation. Excellent. He's looking at this person saying, what's their personality? Mm -hmm. What's their background? What's the level of addiction? that we're dealing with here. Mm. Um, you know, do they have a lot of pride or are they able to humble themselves? Right, right, right. Just, it reminds just tremendous me, sensitivity. Yeah, it reminds <laughs> me a little of Francis Schaeffer's whole thing. I, I've mentioned it frequently, but it, it just sort of struck me with that same, it's that same sense of sensitivity that comes through in that, you know, it's almost just a shocking thing to you when, when you hear Francis Schaeffer say, well, listen, you know, when you're talking to that unbeliever, just 
be gentle with them, you know, and just realize if you push too hard, you could take their entire worldview away and then they'll be in despair. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, it's just like not at all the way you're, you're processing things usually, but, but that's the same thing. You've just got to be careful and you've got to, you take each one as they are and be able to I don't know if you've seen this in your own kids but I see it in mine you know my I've got two boys and they love to argue and the one will just push his point and he will argue and argue and argue and the you know the other brother is basically being shown to be at fault and wrong and he was <laughs> the inferior intellect at that particular moment right and the other one just rubs his nose in it until the other one's tapping out for mercy mercy <laughs> mercy and it's just like this relentless I now have the upper position I'm going to bring the full weight of myself down upon you yes and we just melt the situation for all it's worth <laughs> exactly. and i mean that's a simple tendency of the heart yeah it? it is it is it really is yeah and, <laughs> and you see it sometimes i mean and i'm sort of veering onto apologetics and debates now rather than um pastoral engagement but the two are kind of related at, at some level in that and you see this often with with that you know having to win the debate vibe you know um it's just it just gets weird at some level and i think where where it becomes a pastoral thing is that and i've actually seen this like there was that guy i can't remember his name now but um quite a well-known apologist presuppositional guy he started planted a church um and and the church sort of grew very quickly based on his ministry um if i remember the the guy's name afterwards i'll put it in the show notes um and this is this is not uh, you know he himself tells the story so i'm not i'm not uh, you know uh, moving over his privacy there but um but he, he planted the church and by his own admission, it just went, you know, it, it grew really quickly because he had some, some sort of platform already. But he, he drew to himself people like himself who liked to win those arguments and were good, were good at winning arguments. And he said it yeah. actually the church, you know, like it just exploded. It just or like an implosion or something. It just ate itself up. He said it was terrible. It was absolutely within a few years. It was just he was seeing a mirror image of his own attitude there. And it was not working in a church environment. I mean, it was just, the, you know, with his pastoral activity, with, you know, just, just uh, with the way he was leading and then the way, you know, people were basically following. And, um, and, and he learned from the lesson and, and, you know, so forth. And, and the rest of his story is still to be told. But, but um, you know, I think it's just a powerful illustration of this idea and that you have, to, you have to really be careful of that, you know. And, and, um, and it's the, as you said, it's that sinful tendency, you know, you get into a debate with someone, it could be about a, some matter of doctrine even, you could even be right on it, and you could still be wrong in the way that you've won that argument or the way that you pushed it over someone when it wasn't really the issue at play, it wasn't really what they were actually struggling with. A wise pastor yeah. would have seen that, would have penetrated a little bit deeper rather than force a, a stupid, you know, periphery issue, even if you were right on that point, you know, and so things like that become become very important to the health of a church, I think. I mean, you know, I'm, yeah. more and more I'm realizing that as I go. Just uh, one of the things <clears throat> I've had to say, my sons, just watching these conversations and, and arguments is you have to let the other pe the other person be wrong with their dignity intact. Yes. Oh, man. I remember you but, said that to me a while back. And and I think that I mean, it struck me. You know, I remember thinking like, that is so true. Wow. Yeah. And, that, and what a difficult thing to do, right? I mean, how do you, you know, just to... Let me show you every way in which you're wrong. And I'm just going to, the way in which the Lord deals with my own conscience towards me, I'm going to now turn the magnifying glass on you and oh. just try to destroy. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're horrible that way. I don't know if you do this in your in your mind where you 
maybe you're having an argument with someone or you've seen something that's wrong and you you put yourself into this role as you role play and all of this righteous anger comes up inside of you and now you're emoting. The person's not even there. The situation's not real, but you're angry, right? <laughs> it's, it's the headspace. Yeah, we yeah. wear it. We get into it. I'm in there. I'm with it. I'm acting it up. <laughs> and, we, and as soon as we get into a conversation where we're, we're now hold the moral high ground, boom. Yeah, it just comes it trips. up. Yeah, yeah. Yep. We talk about marriage. We talk about everything. <laughs> We're talking about everything. Oh, man. So, and that's, so that's when it comes down to win the person, not the argument, you know. Just, yeah. That's where the gentleness of Galatians 6 just really struck me. Mm, you mm, know, the spiritual mm. who are among you. So that's talking about the mature with gentleness, with yeah. an eye on your own sin. I don't know if I shared this illustration with you. Um, there was a, an old <clears throat> pastor and a young elder who just come onto the eldership and they were going to someone's house, a man had been caught in adultery. Mm-hmm. And so they're just outside the door and the older man turns to the younger man and he says, you know, do you think you could ever commit this sin? And the younger man says, never. And the older man says, well, then you can't come. Wow. There we go. <laughs> Beautiful. Go. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be, a, this, this is the older man who, who knows the sinfulness of the heart, who knows how to influence people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, oh man, that's such a great point, and um, you know, and just I love what it, what it, I think it was right in the top of here. Um, what then is one to do if you deal too gently with those needing a drastic application of the knife? So that that's what struck me because that you you see it there, you know, you're in some situations you you can see the thing that needs to be dealt with. Uh, it needs to be removed, you know. There, it's not like you're delusional on that point, and that's yeah. what makes it so difficult sometimes. And he says. Uh, you know the application of the knife, and either you're gonna you're gonna not cut too deep, which is so counterintuitive. You know, just, just remember this is the day, but this is the day before anesthetics. This is this is not this yeah. is not general anesthesia. This is the patients are awake with with nothing. Yeah, right. And you, as a doctor, go drilling into their arm. They're screaming at you while doing it. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so you're right. really feeling the tension of how deep do I go? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, <laughs> true, but I mean, I think from a from a pure well, the way I understood it anyway, from a pure medical perspective, you know, I mean, you'd have to be some sort of sadist, you know, if you were a doctor back in the day, anyway. <laughs> but but you're sort of just going, listen, I'm gonna, you know, I, I gotta cut this thing right out. Or those are just gonna come back, or it's gonna be, you know, double the problem later, and. And it's a very counterintuitive thing to be able to say, well, I'm just going to cut a little bit out so it helps you now and leaves you basically intact. And yet he's saying there's something to that. When it, Maybe a, a physician wouldn't think that way, but a pastor does need to think in terms like that yeah. where you, you can't, if you cut this whole thing right out right now, you're going to leave this guy in ruins, you know, and, and that's not really ultimately what you're about at that point. It might be a, a worthwhile thing to think about, you know, a, a half uh, incision or, or whatever the analogy would be at that point. You can tell I absolutely, you do not want to let me near a knife. <laughs> it would not go well. Um, but, you know, I, I thought that was a, a really profound point. And, um, you know, often it is, uh, he says a little bit uh, later on, otherwise, while wishing to mend what is torn, you make the rent worse. And in your yeah. zealous endeavors to restore what is fallen, you make the ruin greater, right? I mean, that's basically the issue. I, I've done that. I've been guilty of that. You know, it's really your zealous endeavors is pretty much exactly I've what, seen that at Gloravel. 
with the heavy shepherding. Yeah, just right. Very rule bound, very restrictive environment. We just told you're going to go to hell all the time. Mm. They just tighten down on the rules. Mm -hmm. They bully your conscience, and after a while, it becomes cauterized. They just don't feel a thing. Right. And they're they're able to just be brazen in the face of any authority, even if it's not Gloriaville anymore, mm. because the damage has been done. Right. Because people push too hard with them. They've had to come yeah. up with some sort of coping mechanism. <clears throat> yeah. Oh man. Anyway, so it's important stuff. And um, yeah, great. Very yeah, sensitive. Very yeah. good. And so hopefully that gives. Uh, just a little bit of a, a taste of Chrysostom, and what, what a dude, what a, what a good dude. Who we got next? Let's have a look. Oh, Ambrose. We're getting onto it oh, now. Oh, my goodness. And then Augustine. <laughs> yeah, probably Augustine coming soon after that. And, yeah, so um, Ambrose was the guy who was preaching when Augustine was sitting under the word. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because I, I love the story that you know, and he was, even though even though it was like really not what we agree with now, but he was just basically you know coming out of his. Um, what was it? It's Platonism at that point, and um, and just the only way the Christian faith could be a viable alternative was if it was allegorized to death, and um, and so Ambrose <laughs> comes along with these like hyper allegorical method, and uh, and Augustine is just like this could work. I like this, <laughs> <laughs> and he gets into it. Uh, it's just crazy how God uses all that stuff. Um, anyway, cool. So that's. Um, that's uh, hopefully you're stoked. You stuck with us to Chrysostom and um, mm. and stick with us uh, as we move forward in the series. Thanks a million, Nick. Appreciate it. Cool, man. Take it easy. Right. Cheers.